Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me join today. Uh, I'm very, very happy and uh, eager to discuss about the data from the Trophy U01 uh, trial. Uh, the drug name is Satsituzumab Covitikan. I am Petrus Grivas. I am a medical oncologist at Seattle Cancer Alliance. I'm an associate professor at University of Washington and at Fred Hudson Cancer Research Center. Thanks for having me. So, Petrus, tell us the basics of this trial. This is maybe mechanism of drug and sort of basics of the, the phase two trial. Absolutely. So, the, let's start with the drug first. It's a very interesting antibody drug conjugate. This is different than infortumavidotin, uh, which has already an, an approval in advanced urothelial cancer. This particular drug, the satituzumab covitican, uh, it's an antibody drug conjugate against TROP2. Uh, TROP2 is expressed significantly in many solid humors. Uh, this antibody drug conjugate is highly specific for TROP2 molecule. It has a very high drug-to-antibody ratio, about 7.6 drug molecules to the antibody uh, in terms of conjugation. And the interesting thing Explain is what that, that means the, um, for the audience. So the, that means that the number of, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, payload molecules, and uh, I'll talk about the payload in a second, uh, uh, in terms of the conjugation to the antibody. So you have eight, uh, eight molecules of the toxin, of the payload that's supposed to uh, kill cancer cells. Eight of them are uh, conjugated to the antibody. The antibody is bound to TROP2, is linked to the toxin, the payload. And the payload in this case is a SN38, which is a metabolite of irinotecan. So it's a topoisomerase-1 inhibitor. So this ratio refers to the uh, molecules of the SN38 compared to the antibody, the TROP2 antibody. So, so basically a way to deliver chemotherapy in a targeted fashion to the cancer cell. And, and, That's uh, exactly right. And Petros, TROP2, why are we tra targeting TROP2 yeah. in urothelial cancer? We Nectin-4 is overexpressed in 98%. What over foot with infortumabidotin? What percent of urothelial cancers overexpress TROP2? It's a very high proportion, as you mentioned, it's similar to Nectin-4. There is significant variability to TROP2 trop expression uh, in those cells. Uh, it's not specific to urothelial cancer, but it's actually a, a, a significant, I would say, expression to justify an entry point of the toxin of the payload to the cancer cells. And because of this ubiquitous expression that is all across the board in urothelial cancer, similar to Nectin-4, this does not require an expression measurement or testing the expression of the molecule when you give it in clinical trials or in clinical practice now. As it currently stands, topoisomerase 1 inhibitors are associated with diarrhea and quite bad neutropenia. We, we hope that by giving targeted type therapies via antibody drug conjugates, we can reduce the systemic side effects. Is that the case with this drug? That's exactly the promise, Tom. So the way, as Brian mentioned, you want to deliver chemotherapy in a targeted way, if I may call this. So it's a targeted chemotherapy approach. Uh, the linker in this particular molecule is a little bit different than the linker in infortumavidotin, and it's not as, I would say, uh, strong to, and does not require internalization and catabolism by the tumor cells. So the drug, the SN38, the renotecan metabolite, may be released in the tumor tissue microenvironment, uh, providing a bystander effect. At the same time, because nothing is perfect, you may still have some release of the molecule. And neutropenia and diarrhea are side effects of this drug. However, most of the neutropenia is mild to moderate, and uh, the febrile neutropenia is only about 10% in the phase two trial. Diarrhea is usually grade one, grade two, about 65%, uh, and about 9 to 10% grade three. 
usually managed uh, with a uh, growth factor dose reduction or you know hydration and diarrhea medication okay so okay. still still chemo like side effects uh, and petros give us something about dosing of the drug how far can you ramp up the drug how what were the phase one experiments like have we got the right dose as it currently stands and 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 uh, and what were the dose limiting toxicity? This is a famous fourteen part pals question. I apologise for that, Petros. <laughs> Quick bit about the phase, a bit about do- a bit about dosing, if possible. <laughs> no, that's actually a very important point in drug development. Right? You have to get the dose right. So uh, the the dose uh, uh, escalation studies and the phase one data uh, were presented uh, um, recently by Dr. Scott Tagawa at Well Cornell. He did the presentation of the phase one. Uh, based on the dose escalation studies, uh, the, the dose that was selected for the phase two was 10 milligrams per kilogram of such Tuzomkovitikan, uh, and that's a starting dose of, in the TROPHY U01 trial in the phase two. Uh, and this has to do, obviously, with you know, the uh, balance of uh, optimal uh, uh, clinical uh, dose and also safe dose. Uh, the, the phase one data... Uh, form the basis for the uh, for the phase two, and uh, the the important point is this particular compound, as I mentioned, it has a different toxicity profile compared to a four to more different mechanisms of action, and uh, I think that ten milligrams per kilogram dose is a feasible dose to start with, uh, even without the use of growth factor. Uh, so I think the dose was right uh, at least as starting one, the phase two in the single agent phase. So let's talk about the data. Let's talk about the, the phase two trial that you're talking about that, that led to approval and bladder, accelerated approval in bladder cancer. Sure. So following the phase one data that I just briefly talked about, uh, the, the trophy user one trial uh, had a different cohorts and the cohort one of the trophy user one uh, used such of govitecan uh, as a single agent of the dose that I just mentioned, 10 milligrams per kilogram, given on days one and day eight, every 21 days. So the dosing, it's a little bit different than in 41, is given pretty much two weeks on, one week off. Uh, and is given a standard dose with an allowance of dose reductions. Uh, the cohort one uh, aimed to accrue about 100 patients uh, with metastatic urothelial cancer who previously progressed after platinum-based chemotherapy and checkpoint inhibitor therapy. However, there was no limit in the number of prior therapies in this particular cohort. So to give you a sense, the, 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 uh, when the data was presented by Dr. Lorio at ESMO 2020, uh, pretty much the, the median number of prior therapies uh, uh, was uh, between three and eight. So significant, I would say, uh, pretty, uh, number wow. of treated therapies. So it's pretty you know, heavily treated population. But, but Petros, we know in urothelial cancer, by the time you get to fourth or fifth line therapy, that's not a classic urothelial cancer patient. That's sort of two or three percent of the population. Do you think that this heavily pre-treated population is representative if we move this drug specifically into the front or the second line setting? Tom, you make a good point. You have this, what we call professional trial patients who can go from trial to trial and they go beyond, you know, what we expect in terms of number of prior therapies. Having said that, you know, in this particular trial, the, uh, the, uh, the median, the, if you look at the numbers of prior therapies, um, most patients, at least I would say half of them had one or two. So about, it was, I think, 47% of patients, it was in the third line and the other half was beyond. I think, you know, the, the further you go, you may argue that, yeah, you may have some selection bias there for sure. At the same time, the response rate usually gets lower as you go beyond lines of therapy. So we've got response rates of 27 percent. We've got progression free survival of six months and we've got OS of 13 months as median figures. How do you look at that data and how do you put that in the context of the um, competitive environment? 
Number one, I think it's always very hard, inherently hard to compare across trials, again, different uh, selection confounding factors. However, inevitably, that's what comes to mind. Uh, I would say that this drug uh, is probably very well positioned uh, right now uh, in probably the fourth line space after um, you have uh, checkpoint, platinum-based chemotherapy, checkpoint inhibitor, and fortumab based on the level of evidence. However, I can definitely envision patients who may actually get sertuzumab before and fortumab, especially if you have significant neuropathy, grade two or more, maybe uncontrolled diabetes, mellitus, or maybe obesity. However, the response rate that we, we noted is numerically is lower than the fortumab, but again, it's hard to compare across trials. So yeah, I think we need a Petrus, trial to, co- to confirm the data. So um, I guess the question, the approval, what's the language of the approval? I'm sorry, I don't know in terms of line of therapy or how does it read? The, the approval pretty much followed the, uh, uh, the, the eligibility so, criteria of uh, the... Uh, so prior platinum, prior IO, is that... Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. And so yeah. how Petra, many... So just if, to be... You go, Brian. I'm not done asking my questions. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah go, go. If, if, uh, so if it's... You think it's mostly going to be used... The bladder cancer patients make it to fourth line. I can't re- remember the last patient I had that made it to fourth sure. line. So, so just a very, very good point. So to answer both questions quickly, so the language of the FDA approval... <laughs> Uh, as of a few days ago, uh, patients who have progressed on platinum-based chemotherapy and either checkpoint inhibitor PD-1 or pd one So, uh, enforcement is not part of the FDA approval. So, it's left up to the, the mm-hmm. investigator to make this call. Uh, we just published a manuscript recently with Dr. Nira Chagragal at the University of Utah, Dr. Swami and others. And we looked at the real-world data out there. Uh, to look how many patients make it second line or even third line, you know, not in an academic institution with a selection bias there. And we're actually shocked to see, we're very surprised, about 20% of patients make it to second line and only 6% in that study make it to third line, which is kind of shocking what happens in real world. I think I think it's important to have options, and I think drugs like Enfortumab and drugs like Sertuzumab could actually improve those numbers. Petros, here we go. So first line chemotherapy, <laughs> maintenance of Valumab, that's reasonable. And, and then the vast majority surely getting in Fortumab Vidotin with level 1A evidence. Reasonable? Yeah, I think the level 1A. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay, yeah. So you're happy with that. Um, <laughs> so, then you, so then you've got to... Tom, is this a question or a statement? What's going between on? the two, I'm coming to the question. So you're then given a choice. Erdofitinib with FGF alterations or sasituzumab govotecan, which one are you reaching for? I think it depends on the toxicity profile uh, of, the, of the patient population. So, so Petros, well, in the FGF-altered patients, you wouldn't give erdofitinib. You would consider, even in those patients, giving sasituzumab govotecan. Because remember, erdofitinib's response rate is 40%, and this is 27 in that population. It's, I think all of the above are relevant points. Again, it's hard to compare across trials <laughs> when you don't have head-to-head comparison. And, you know, you know it's, it's hard to compare. Tom, quit challenging our guests. Nobody will come on the show anymore. <laughs> I'm surprised you come at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show up. So I, I, You're I, always I, welcome, Petros. <laughs> You're always welcome. So FGF-altered patients. In those FGF-altered patients, you're giving, this is really important, you're giving Infortumavidotin instead of Erdofitinib because of... Um, because of uh, the level 1A evidence. Is that correct? I, again, I, I think that level 1 evidence is a very important point. And I okay, think, but so we agreed. It still depends on the, on, the, on the patient population. Yeah, 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 but um, we're going to come to that. I think it depends, yeah. But, talking but, about a pill profile. versus an IV, I think it depends. But, it depends. But it's not a in broad terms, 
are you happier with the erdofitinib data in the FGF altered patients or the sasituzumab um, data? Which one are you happier with, Petros? You, you, you have to pick one for your patients ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with either. Again, it, I think the, the different... Okay, okay. I'm going to put the question a different way, if I may. So let's say then you're happy then sequencing antibody drug conjugates because common sense to someone like myself might say, well, we've had a go with the antibody drug conjugates and fortunately we have vedotin. Let's move to an tyrosine kinase FGF receptor antagonist. Um, are, do you think that sequencing antibody drug conjugates is associated with um, equivalent effic efficacy or do you think there's a reduction? I think there is completely different mechanism of action here. So either you give her dafitinib or you give uh, sacituzumab after infortumab. Either way, uh, you may have responses because there is no, in my mind, overlap in the mechanism of action. There's a different antibody, different link here, different payload, different toxin. So I don't see resistance overlapping here. So I'm using either or, I would say. And it depends really, again. On Were the there patient. patients in the trial who got prior erdafitinib? Yeah. So uh, prior and fourth time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the Get my name. No problem. Similar names. So in the trophy user one <laughs> cohort one trial, there was a number of patients that you know this number will be in the manuscript coming out at JCO anytime now. There was a number of patients, a small number of patients who actually got in form of a dotting before. So yes, the answer is there is some precedence. Small number. But we don't know the answer yet. Okay. So I think it sounds to me like you're actually really comfortable with the data. Um, the response rate looks relatively modest at 27%, but as you said, it's a phase two trial and they're a heavily treated population. Um, there is a randomized phase three that's, um, that's ongoing. Uh, it's, a, um, it, it's, a, it's a similar to the EV301 trial in that it's um, key individuals who've had chemotherapy and immune therapy randomized to further chemotherapy or sasituzumab govotecan. Um, that's going to be the, the pivotal trial, which will transfer their label, I guess, to a full label. Is that correct, correct Petros? That's right. So the Tropic 04 phase 3 trial is comparing sasituzumab govotecan at the same dose, 10 milligrams per kilogram, day one day, 21 day cycle, to chemotherapy, the vaccine, single agent, or Vinfluent in Europe. And this phase 3 trial has overall survival as a primary point. It's a very similar design to the data you presented, uh, Tom, the EV301, very similar design there. And prior in form of a dotting is not required, but is allowed in that phase three trial of the Tropic 04. And that will be the, 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 uh, the goal there is to see the, the overall survival benefit before your, uh, the drug may go for regulated full regulatory approval. I guess one of the next questions, and that's an important study, and we don't know obviously how that's going to pan out. The chemotherapy is a relatively low bar. Um, having said that, um, the response rate of 27% is not as high as the 40% that we've seen for EV and for um, uh, erdofitinib in both the 301 and the with the Thor trial coming up in the not too distant future. That's an ongoing study as well. So this is a really interesting area. But I guess the big issue is can we change frontline therapy? Um, we're going to have to combine this drug. It's not going to beat Gemsys or Gem Carbo by itself. What are we going to? What what should we be combining it with? And um, should we be? Um, do you think it's a good drug to combine? particularly if it's more myelosuppressive or causes neutropenia, does that mean that it might be difficult right. to combine with immune therapy? I, there is actually an ongoing comparison in the cohort three of the Trophy User 1 trial combining pembrolizumab with sasituzumab covitican. We have not presented the data yet, and uh, this is still accruing. But uh, Let's not talk about stuff that's not available. Yeah, so, me yeah. mechanistically, I yeah. think it will be interesting to, to, to see, you know, what happens in this cohort. But I think it's a compelling idea. 
The other idea that is being evaluated in the trophy usually one trial is a different cohort, cohort four. And the, the concept in the future is, can you potentially replace gemcitabine with sacituzumab? So you can have like cisplatin plus sacituzumab, mm. you know, as an evaluation in the frontline setting and whether this could maybe be followed by a velumab. So this is going to be tested in the cohort four of the Trophic Zero One trial. So I think there is an option there for combination-based strategies, either with IO or chemotherapy, and both of them are being tested in the phase two trial. Clearly, Petros, by... So Sorry, what... Brian, you go. I was going to say my last question. So where do you think it's going to end up? Is it going to be sort of monotherapy, refractory, you know, nice to have an option in those patients? Or do you think it ultimately find a home in combination earlier? I think for now it's uh, monotherapy, refractory is the first way to go. But eventually my gut feeling is in the future. We're going to use antibody drug conjugates earlier on. Uh, my, my personal uh, uh, thinking is we have to wait for the phase three trials. Uh, obviously, V302 is already ongoing, mm-hmm. but... There's some discussions about, again, the control group, lack of maintenance therapy there. However, eventually, I see the antibody drug conjugates moving earlier in some form of combination. And again, back to Tom's question, I think, you know, we have to take into account all the data, but I don't think we know this optimal sequence yet. Erdafitinib before ADC or ADC before Erdafitinib, I think these are unanswered questions. And we have retrospective data which are not very informing. So it depends on multiple, you know, patient-related factors, whether you use a dafitinib before and form or vice versa, and the same with, uh, with uh, uh, satsutuzumab. So it's uh, open questions, and hopefully we'll get the answers, you know, in the real, in the real time in the future. So-